Welcome to our podcast, CME Anytime. This week's episode is from the Heart Course, presented by Dr. Amol Matu, titled STEMI, Mimics You've Got to Know. Please visit our website at ccme.org to explore more of our content. Thank you and enjoy our presentation. Greetings, folks. My name is Amal Matu. I'm a faculty member at the University of Maryland School of Medicine. And we're going to spend a little time talking about STEMI mimics that you've got to know. Now, in other portions of the course, we've talked about the importance of making the diagnosis of STEMI. We know that if you miss ACS, well, there's a, a bad outcome that's waiting to happen. And a lot of med mal occurs because of missed ACS, and a lot of bad outcomes occur because of missed ACS. Well, in this talk, we're going to flip things around a little bit, and we're going to talk about some cases that sometimes get overdiagnosed as ACS or essentially some mimics of ACS. It turns out that not only is there a cost associated with missing ACS, but there is also a cost associated with overcalling ACS as well. This is one of those cases where, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of between a rock and a hard place. You're damned if you overcall and damned if you undercall also. Part of the problem here is that there's really a lot of things that can produce ST elevation, and I don't think most people learn this. I certainly didn't learn it when I was in residency, and over the course of many years, I've, I've kind of gradually learned about all of the different things that can produce ST elevation. And you can look through this entire list. You're not going to commit this to memory, but it's important to understand that there are a lot of other things that can produce ST segment elevation, and your history and physical are extremely important to trying to figure things out. But it's not always just the history and physical. Sometimes there's subtle things on the ECG in the presence of ST elevation, or maybe the type of morphology of the ST elevation, which can kind of point you in the right direction. And we're going to talk about a few specific scenarios. Those of you that joined us for the ECG workshop, you'll recognize a little bit of this, but we're going to go a little bit beyond what we talked about in the ECG workshop also. And we're going to start out with this case to start with. Again, we talked about this in the ECG workshop. We're going to go a little bit beyond what we talked about there as well. This is a 45-year-old man who comes into the emergency department with sharp chest pain. And it was maybe a little positional, a little pleuritic. And the emergency physician is looking at this and seeing ST elevation out here in the inferior leads, ST elevation in the anterior leads, when you see ST elevation in multiple leads in the setting of some concerning chest pain, sharp chest pain in particular, you might be thinking, well, this could be pericarditis or it could be a STEMI. Well, how do you tell the difference between these? One of the things that people are taught to look for is PR segment depression. And if you look down there at leads two and three, you see some nice PR depression out there in AVF, nice PR depression there, and also out here in the anterior leads and maybe just a little bit laterally as well. The computer calls this, S uh, I'm sorry, the computer calls this pericarditis, and the emergency physician is thinking this is pericarditis also, and you know, pericarditis doesn't always have to be admitted, but he decides he wants to go ahead and admit. So he contacts the hospitalist, hospitalist comes down, and a missed a patient for acute pericarditis. First set of labs are sent, including an enzyme, a troponin, and the troponin comes back minimally elevated. That's pretty common with pericarditis, not a big concern. 
Next set of enzymes are sent off all the patients upstairs about six to eight hours later, and the second set of enzymes are markedly positive. So what happens? Cardiology gets consulted. They come over. They take the patient to the cath lab, and this patient turned out to have an acute STEMI with a 100% LAD occlusion. So what went wrong? I thought PR depression equals pericarditis. First pearl, that is a myth. It doesn't work. So let's talk a little bit about what you need to do when you're making, when you're debating, is this STEMI or is this acute pericarditis? And I'm going to tell you the way to approach these cases. The first thing you want to do is, you know, first of all, uh, the distinction is very difficult. And before we even get into EKG, I should also say that this is not an uncommon misdiagnosis. About 15 to 20% of the time, patients go to the cath lab and end up, they squirt the dye. And so, therefore, even the cardiologist didn't realize it was pericarditis either because they went forward with the cath. They squirt the dye, the coronaries are clean, and in retrospect, they end up diagnosing acute pericarditis. So here's what you need to do. Back to the EKGs. This is the approach that you need to take when you're trying to decide is it STEMI or pericarditis. First thing you should do is ignore V1 and AVR, and in the other 10 leads, see if there's any ST depression. If there's any ST depression in any of the other 10 leads, stop, you're done, it's a STEMI, move on. Don't look anymore if you see ST depression in any of those 10 leads. If that doesn't do it for you, move to the next step. The next step is, is there ST elevation in leads two and three? And if there are, compare the ST elevation in two and three. If lead three has more ST elevation than in lead two, it's got to be a STEMI, stop, you're done, don't look any further. All right. If that doesn't get it for you, the next step is to look at the morphology of the ST elevation. If the ST segment elevation is horizontal or convex upwards, like a tombstone, then you're done. Stop. It's got to be a STEMI because pericarditis is only allowed to have ST elevation that's concave upwards. All right. So if it's horizontal then or it's convex, it's got to be a STEMI. If it's concave upwards, then you can't make a conclusion. It can be anything. I put down their Q waves, but um, as we talked about in the EKG workshop, be very careful about Q waves. You can only rely on Q waves if you absolutely know that they're new. Like I'm saying, if you if you had a 12 lead from just yesterday and today there's new Q waves, then that might be useful. But be careful because let's say you've got an old EKG from five or 10 years ago and there weren't Q waves back then, now there are. How do you know that these Q waves occurred today? Maybe they occurred a couple years ago, and now the patient does have pericarditis. So if you definitely know those Q waves are new, then it's probably a STEMI, but just be careful about the uh, Q waves. If you go through these steps and you haven't ruled in STEMI, then and only then are you allowed to start looking for, for uh, PR segment depression. All right. Of course, if there's a friction rub, that's a little bit non-EKG, but that's the exam. If you hear a friction rub, then that's probably pericarditis also. And I always tell people, if you ever hear a friction rub, gather up all the other docs and the nurses and the students and the residents have every, and the family members also have everybody listen to that friction rub also, because invariably by the time cardiology comes down to admit the patient, it's going to be gone and you're going to need witnesses to back you up. Okay, because friction rubs tend to be very transient. They come and go. So you're going to need some witnesses. But if you hear a friction rub, it's a very reliable finding that tells you that you're looking at acute pericarditis. All right. 
but you're allowed to look for PR segment depression at this point. And again, I want to emphasize that you don't look for PR depression until after you've gone through all of those other steps first that rule in STEMI. And the reason is that we've all been taught this myth that PR depression equals pericarditis. Not true. PR depression can be found in STEMI also, and that's why it should be one of the last things you go looking for. Don't look for PR depression up front, all right? And when in doubt, getting serial EKGs can be helpful also. If you get a repeat EKG in half an hour or an hour from the first EKG and you see things evolving, that strongly points towards the STEMI. Pericarditis usually is not going to change much at all, if at all in the first hour or so. So let's go back to this case and let's run through our little algorithm here. Okay, step number one. You're debating STEMI versus pericarditis. We're gonna ignore AVR and V1, but if you see ST depression in any of your other 10 leads, stop and call it a STEMI. So do you see ST depression in any of the other 10 leads? I don't think we do. So now let's move to step number two. Step number two is take a look at the ST elevation in lead three. And if the elevation in lead three is greater than the elevation in lead two, it's got to be a STEMI. And it kind of looks like it is. There's more elevation in three than in two. So this is a STEMI. We can stop and call it a STEMI right now. It can't be pericardial. All right, but, but let's say that's a little bit too close of a call for you. Let's move forward. Step number three. Do you see any horizontal or convex upwards elevation? If you do, it's got to be a STEMI and in V3, horizontal ST elevation, lead V4, horizontal ST elevation. This has to be a STEMI. So we got two reasons why this has to be a STEMI. Lead 3 ST elevation is greater than in lead 2, and there's horizontal ST elevation. Pericarditis is not allowed to do that. I think it's like international law that pericarditis must have only concave elevation everywhere. If you ever see even one or two leads with horizontal or convex elevation, it's got to be a STEMI. Don't call it pericarditis. And that's what this turned out to be. It turned out to be 100% acute LAD STEMI right from the very start. And there's your horizontal elevation. All right. Let's do some more practice cases. Take a look at this case. Is this a STEMI or is this acute pericarditis? Well, this is a pretty simple one. This is clearly a STEMI. How do you know? Well, because there's ST depression in AVL and in V2 and maybe a bit in V3, Pericarditis is not allowed to give you any ST depression except in AVR and V1. That's why we ignore those two leads. So you ignore those two leads, and if you see ST depression in any of the other leads, it's got to be a STEMI. All right, how about this one? This patient has huge Q waves, but again, be careful about these Q waves. Don't assume that Q waves equal STEMI unless you know that they're brand new today. All right, so maybe, maybe this patient's had Q waves that look like this for quite some time. So Q waves are not good enough, but are there any other things? Well, let's ignore AVR and V1. Do you see ST depression in any of your other 10 leads? Answer is no. All right. Do you see ST elevation in three that's greater than in two? Well, there's no elevation in either of those leads, so we can skip that step. Next step, is there horizontal elevation? The answer is yes. There's horizontal elevation all across the precordium. So this has to be a STEMI. Pericarditis has to be concave upwards. If it's horizontal, it's got to be a STEMI. One of the other things I like about this case is take a look at lead AVR. Notice there's PR elevation in AVR. Now, some of you have probably heard before that if there's PR elevation in AVR, that means it's pericarditis, right? Some people have heard that before. Not true. 
It doesn't work. Here's a STEMI, and I've seen other STEMIs also that have PR elevation in AVR. That is a myth that's been passed down for many decades now. PR elevation in AVR does not mean you're looking at pericarditis. It can be found in STEMI as well. The fact is the PR segments can be affected not only by pericarditis, but you can get PR segment depression or elevation in AVR anytime the, the atrium has ischemia or atrial infarction or abnormal atrial repolarization. Anything that messes with the atrium can mess with your PR segments. They can go up or down. So you can't rely on PR segment depression as pathing mnemonic for pericarditis. It sometimes is, but it's sometimes a pericarditis, but it's not pathing mnemonic. All right, next case. Take a look at this. Is this STEMI or acute pericarditis? Again, this is pretty easy. This has to be a STEMI because there is ST depression in one and AVL and out laterally. This has to be a STEMI because there's ST elevation in three, which is greater than in two. And also you just about see that convex upwards, that tombstone type of elevation. And that points towards a STEMI as well. Next case, STEMI or acute pericarditis. Well, if you go through your stepwise approach, again, let's ignore AVR and V1. Do you see ST depression in any of your other 10 leads? The answer is no. Is there ST elevation in lead three, which is greater than in lead two? And the answer is no. It's actually kind of the other way around. So we can't conclude anything. Next step. Do you see any horizontal or tombstone elevation? And the answer there is no. All of the ST segments look like they're concave upwards, concave upwards, Sometimes people ask about lead three, even lead three, right after the QRS, it looks like there's a little bit of a concavity there. So, so this doesn't meet any of our STEMI criteria. So now you're allowed to go looking for PR segment depression. And is there any PR segment depression? Yeah, there's some pretty good PR segment depression in a handful of leads, not just one or two, but in a handful of leads, you see some PR depression in, in lead two and maybe some downsloping there in lead AVF and the precordial leads very nice PR segment. Oh, where's our circle? PR segment downsloping V2, V3, V4, V5. And, and so there's multiple leads with PR depression. This is acute pericarditis. Now I'll tell you what actually happened with this patient. <clears throat> the emergency physician taking care of this patient actually diagnosed this patient as having a STEMI and so did the computer. And the reason for the misdiagnosis was the emergency physician was focusing on the Q waves in the inferior leads and thought this is an inferior STEMI, maybe infralateral STEMI, but at the very least, it's an inferior STEMI. And the patient ended up getting aspirin and heparin and TPA. And well, what's the problem with giving heparin and TPA to a patient with pericarditis? Well, you might induce a hemorrhagic tamponade, if they start bleeding into the pericardium, remember there's already a lot of inflammation in the pericardium. Now they bleed from the TPA, heparin, but especially TPA, that can produce hemorrhagic tamponade. So the patient started decompensating, at which point they realized the mistake. They sent the patient up to the OR where CT surgery drained out this massive a hemorrhagic tamponade. Unfortunately, the patient did okay. Of course, he had to reverse everything with the protamine and give cryoprecipitate and FFP and everything, but it was, it, it turned into a bloody mess. Fortunately, the patient survived. And then about 45 minutes afterwards, after the patient went up to the OR, they found an old EKG and discovered that these Q waves were actually old. 
And so, again, that's why I emphasize be careful about relying on Q waves unless you absolutely know that they're new, all right? This is a patient I was taking care of. I was working a night shift. And um, how many of you get prisoners that get sent in from the emergency department, right? Don't you love that? Um, you know, sometimes we get a lot of prisoners coming in and it almost sounds like Halloween with chains rattling through the hallways. And anyway, this one night a prisoner got brought in and he had been having some chest pain in prison. And unbelievably, they did an EKG on him at prison. And even more unbelievably, they sent it with him. And this is it. So he arrives with this EKG and the prison guards, they give me this EKG. He'd been having some chest pain, still has a little chest pain. I look at the EKG and this is clearly acute pericarditis. You go through your algorithm, ignore AVR and V1, and you'll notice that there's no ST depression anywhere. Uh, comparing leads, ST elevation in three versus two, there is no elevation in three, so we can't even use that step. And all of the elevations are concave upwards, all right? Uh, and so we haven't ruled in STEMI, so then we're allowed to look for PR depression, and there's really, really nice PR depression in multiple, multiple precordial leads. Very nice PR segment downsloping there. So we were easily able to call this acute pericarditis. But now the patient arrives in the emergency department, what's the first thing you do? You get your own EKG, you repeat the EKG, take a look at this. The PR depression is gone. This is not typically taught, but PR depression can be very transient. It doesn't last forever. Sometimes it might be there for only a few hours. And if you're not lucky, if this were the only EKG that we got, this would be a really tough diagnosis because we go through the whole algorithm that I showed you and not arrive at a diagnosis. So if that happens, what do you do? Well, probably the best thing that you could do is to get serial EKGs and look for any evolving changes if you're good at it, and I'm probably not that good at good enough to rely on my skills, but POCUS, bedside ultrasound, point of care ultrasound, um, you can look at. And if uh, if you're good, you can look for wall motion abnormalities suggesting ACS or pericardial effusion suggesting pericarditis. All right, again, I'm not sure that I trust my skills to do that, but some of you actually have those skills <clears throat> and are, are much better than me at bedside ultrasound. And then when really in doubt, the other thing that you might need to do is send the patient to the cath lab, get cardiology to weigh in in the cath lab. And, and that does happen quite a bit, as I alluded to earlier. All right. Now, with this case, fortunately, we had the prior EKG. But if this were the only EKG that we had, we, we'd kind of be out of luck. All right. Okay. Moving forward, here's a great case. This was a 38-year-old woman who really had no cardiac risk factors at all. She came in with a little bit of plurid, kind of pleuritic, kind of positional type of chest pain. It's kind of sharp, and uh, she's got this EKG, and the first thought that's going through the emergency physician's mind is she's only 38. She's a woman. She's low risk. She's got... Um, you know, she doesn't have classic pain, chest pressure, diaphoresis or anything. It's kind of sharp and pleuritic. It's probably, it sounds like pericarditis. Well, there was a cardiologist who happened to be in the emergency department and they consulted the cardiologist. He came over and he saw the patient, looked at the EKG and wrote on his consult, I agree with the diagnosis of pericarditis. This is in quotes. I agree with the diagnosis of pericarditis based on the patient's age, absence of risk factors, and based on the PR elevation in AVR. Remember, we talked about that. But I'm still concerned, end quote. That's exactly, I've 
uh, given this presentation so many times, I, I, I can quote exactly what his consult was. And he said, I'm still a little bit concerned. So tell you what, let's get a troponin now and let's repeat it in two hours. Let's not wait three, four, six hours. Let's just repeat the troponin in two hours. So that sounds reasonable. They got a troponin and it was unremarkable. Then they re- repeat the troponin in two hours and the repeat troponin is clearly heading north. So at that point, they pack her up, they ship her over to university's cath lab, whereupon this 38-year-old woman with no cardiac risk factors ended up having a 100% LAD occlusion. They only lost two hours. The patient ended up doing fine. But you all would not have even needed those two hours because if you go through your algorithm, you nail the diagnosis at step number one. Step number one, ignore AVR and V1. Do you see any ST depression in any of your other leads? Answer, yes. There's ST depression in three and in AVF. You're done. This has to be a STEMI. You would not have even needed the troponins or those extra two hours. You knew right off the bat that this is a STEMI, right? Very simple. Here's another case. This is a 35-year-old woman. Again, no cardiac risk factors. She comes in with a bit of pleuritic, sharp chest pain, and the computer is calling this acute pericarditis, probably because there's a little bit of PR segment downsloping in a couple of the inferior leads, downsloping, and also laterally, the PRs are downsloping, and it looks like what we've all been taught pericarditis is supposed to do to the PR segments. Plus, she's young. Plus, she's got no risk factors. Plus, the computer's calling it pericarditis, so the emergency physician calls it pericarditis and says, you know what, I think I want to admit her just to be safe. So the emergency physician contacts the intensive care physician, the intensive care physician, it's the middle of the night, but the intensive care physician, who happens to be married to a cardiologist, says, yeah, you know, let me see if my husband can weigh in. So she calls up her husband, wakes him up in the middle of the night, says, honey, can you please look at an EKG? She faxes him the EKG. Some of you, look you're a little bit too young to know what a fax machine is. But anyway, pretend that she just uh, texted this to him. And he looks at the EKG and says, well, you know, there's PR depression and uh, could be pericarditis. She's got, she's young, no risk factors. It's a bit sharp and pleuritic. Now it's probably pericarditis. So anyway, the patient gets admitted to the ICU for monitoring. You know, pericarditis usually doesn't need to go to the ICU, but anyway, there's beds up there. So the ICU attending takes the patient upstairs, gets the first set of enzymes at around midnight, unremarkable. Second set of enzymes are done around six or seven in in the morning. Uh, First morning labs, troponin is way off the chart. So at that point, they immediately send her over to university to the cath lab, whereupon this 35-year-old woman who's got no risk factors is found to have 100% left circumflex lesion. Now, unfortunately, she ended up with a very low EF in the 30s, and she ended up with New York heart class 3 heart failure because of the myocardium she lost. Remember, time is muscle. And she continued infarcting through the night for six or seven more hours And she ended up with a cardiomyopathy because of that. And unfortunately, a lawsuit ensued. And they sued the emergency physician and the intensive care physician, though not her husband, for seven or eight hours of lost myocardium with the contention that this diagnosis should have been made right now at time zero. And you all would have made the diagnosis right away based on this first EKG. Because if you go through your stepwise approach, you nail it. So take a look. Well, ignore AVR and ignore V1. Do you see any ST depression in any of your other 10 leads? And the answer is yes. AVL says shows ST depression. 
and V2 has ST depression, you're done. This is a STEMI. You don't need to look any further. But if you did, step number two, is the ST elevation in lead three greater than the elevation in lead two? And the answer is yes. So you've got yet another reason why this has to be a STEMI. You're done. You don't have to look any further. But if you did, go to step number three. Is there any horizontal elevation? And of course, the answer is yes. In lead three and in AVF, this has to be a STEMI for all three reasons. Pericarditis is only allowed to give you concave upwards elevation. So unfortunately, this resulted in a six-figure payout. And it really shouldn't have been misdiagnosed. But they were misled because the first thing they did was they looked at the PR segments and probably also the computer interpretation. The reason the computer got this wrong is my guess is computers are probably programmed to look at the PR segments also. The computer has not heard this lecture. All right. How about this one? Well, this is a little bit of a tougher one. So, and just as an aside, some of the T waves are a little bit bizarre. Um, there's little blips on the back half of the T waves in some of these, and that's just artifact. I'm not really sure why. I'm not I'm not trying to hide, uh, you know, a second degree block or anything. It's, it's not an AV block. That's just artifact. So just look at the ST segments and T waves and decide, do you think this is a STEMI or acute pericarditis? If you go through all of your steps, including the PR depression step, you really don't arrive at a diagnosis. So what happens when you go through each of the steps and you don't have a diagnosis? What do you do? Well, there's a couple of options. Number one, you can get serial EKGs and look to see if anything's evolving. If there's something evolving, it's probably ACS. Number two, if you're good with bedside ultrasound, you look at bedside ultrasound and see if there are wall motion abnormalities from ACS versus pericardial effusion from pericarditis. Or number three, if you still don't have a good answer, contact cardiology and they might have to cath them to make that distinction. Well, what we did with this case was we just got serial EKGs, and it turned out that nothing evolved. Um, and this patient ended up having just acute pericarditis. Uh, so fortunately, ended up doing okay. How about this one? This is an equally ugly-looking 12-lead EKG, STEMI or pericarditis. I'll let you kind of think about that for just a second. The answer here, this has to be an acute STEMI, because step number one you see ST segment depression in three and in AVF. It's got to be an acute STEMI. It can't be pericarditis. How about this one? Here's a 30-year-old man who's been having chest pain for three hours. 30 years old. It's awfully young. The physician here was worried that this was an acute STEMI. He contacted his cardiologist, and the cardiologist said, no, this has to be pericarditis. He's too young. Again, true story. Well, when you look at the CKG, you know this has to actually be an acute STEMI. What is telling you that this is an acute STEMI? Well, number one, there's ST depression and AVL. You're done. You don't need to look any further. And then number two, there's horizontal elevation out there in lead three. This has to be an acute STEMI. Pericarditis has to give you a nice concave upwards uh, ST segment. When you see straight, that is actually an acute STEMI. So finally, the patient ended up being diagnosed with the STEMI, but after an unnecessary, unnecessary delay. Here's an elderly woman who comes in with chest pain. You know, realistically, elderly woman, do we even need to ask what's the diagnosis here? It's got to be a STEMI, right? Elderly women, pericarditis, I think it would be enormously rare. But anyway, the, this patient actually, this is the pre-hospital EKG. The pre-hospital providers actually diagnose this patient with pericarditis. 
And the reason they called it pericarditis, number one, the computer called it pericarditis. And number two, the reason that they were all thinking pericarditis is when you look down there at the limb leads, there's beautiful PR depression in lead two and beautiful PR downsloping in lead AVF. And there's PR elevation in AVR. But what have we said about PR segments? They're not reliable until after you've gone through your other steps first. And step number one, is there any ST depression? And if you look at AVL, yeah, there's ST depression. This has to be acute STEMI. And then the other thing, if you look at the morphology of the ST elevation, take a look at the morphology in lead three and lead AVF. The ST segments are elevated and sloping downwards. That's got to be a STEMI. Pericarditis has to be concave upwards, not sloping downwards. This has to be an acute STEMI. And sure enough, that's exactly what it turned out to be. All right. Okay. So we have our algorithm for trying to figure out when you're looking at the EKG, how to tell the difference between STEMI versus pericarditis. I'm going to give you two additional things to think about. And these are things that I recommend you do at the very bottom of your diff- uh, of your algorithm. So go through everything that we've talked about first. And if those don't give you an answer, these are a couple of additional things that might be helpful. There's something that I refer to as the checkmark sign or the RT sign. That essentially is where the R wave is coming down and then bam, it just shoots right out, uh, right out into the ST segment. It's like a, a checkmark or, or a Nike swoosh right? The R wave comes down and then it shoots straight out. That is very, that very much favors a STEMI and not pericarditis because pericarditis likes to have a gentle, gentle transition into the ST segment. If the R wave comes down and then bam, it shoots right out. And I always tell people, if you put your ear right up to the EKG and listen for it, you can hear the bam, right? And that'll tell you that you're looking at a STEMI. And then one additional thing you can look for is something called spot sign. This is absolutely the last thing that you'll look for. If you still don't have a diagnosis after everything we've talked about, then and only then you look for a spot sign. And spot sign refers to downsloping of the TP segment. All right, so let's look at both of these. This is a nice example of that RT sign or checkmark sign. This is obviously a STEMI, but it's a nice example of that RT. Take a look up here. Notice the R wave comes down and then bam, immediately hit. it heads right into the T wave, right? The R wave comes down and then shoots right into the T wave. That's the RT sign. That's got to be a STEMI, right? Pericarditis needs some time to transition into the T wave, STEMI can come right down and then shoot right out into the T wave. So when you see that RT or the check mark sign, think about ACS, right? That is pericarditis. Pericarditis gives you a nice gentle transition. That's the normal transition that you often see with pericarditis. You can see that with STEMI also, but pericarditis has to have a gentle transition. When you see it shoot right out of there, then that really points towards uh, a STEMI. Here's another nice example. Notice the computer's calling this pericarditis, probably because there's some leads that have a little bit of PR downsloping. But when you look carefully at this, when you look carefully up there, you'll notice that lead one, well, that lead one is very nonspecific. That can be anything. But when you look at lead two, notice how the R wave comes down and then listen for it. Bam, it shoots right out. There's no gentle transition. So the fact that you've got lead two looking like that, that's telling me that it's not pericarditis. By the way, another clue, when you look at this EKG, another clue, 
If you're trying to figure out whether this is STEMI or pericarditis, step number one, look for ST depression. And AVL has ST depression, you're done. You really wouldn't need to look any further. If you look out here at V4 and V5, you've also got that RT sign. The R wave comes down and shoots right out. There's no gentle transition. That's something that STEMI tends to do, not pericarditis. Here's your V4 and V5. R wave comes down and then bam, shoots right out like a check mark. That points towards STEMI and not pericarditis. So this turned out to be a STEMI despite the computer trying to fool you. This was definitely a STEMI. Now, what is this spotic sign? Many of you have probably heard of spotic sign before. This was something that was first described by David Spotic, who's a cardiologist. He has since passed away uh, several years ago, but he he's done a lot of the really great research and teaching about pericarditis over the past few decades. And one of the things that he talked about was this concept that pericarditis often gives you this downsloping, not just of the PR, but the TP segment as well. If you look right up there, there's the TP segment. It's at the end of the T wave leading into the beginning of the P wave. Notice how the TPs are sloping downwards. When you see actually V5 is a really nice example. Take a look at how V5 at the end of the T wave, it slopes downwards into the P wave, that downward sloping. It's a very nice example. You see it in the rhythm strips there as well. Lead two is a nice rhythm strip showing that downward sloping of the TP segment. That is referred to as a spotic sign, and that's a suggestion of pericarditis. It's not definitive, and that's why I say it should be the last thing that you go looking for, all right, that spotic sign. This is a really nice example of spotic sign. The red arrows are pointing at the TP segment. Notice how they're all sloping downwards. Notice the computer's totally getting this wrong. This is acute pericarditis. Again, this is the last thing that you want to be looking at. All right. There's another nice example of the T, the TP downsloping. Take a look out here. V4, V5, V6. You've got nice downsloping of the TP segment and that's suggesting pericarditis. But again, I can't emphasize this enough. You've got to wait and not look for a spot sign until after you've gone through all of the other steps first. And this is one of the reasons why, if you look at the EKG that I showed you a few minutes ago, where the computer is trying to call this pericarditis, notice that it does appear to have some downsloping of the T segment. So it looks like there's spotic sign, but it's not pericarditis. This is STEMI. So again, the fact is, STEMIs can sometimes have downsloping of the TP segment, but only rely on spotic sign after you've gone through all your other steps first. And if you had gone through our stepwise approach with this EKG, you would have successfully diagnosed a STEMI on step number one because there's ST depression in AVL. So you would not have even had the opportunity to be misled by the spotic sign. So again, go through your first steps. And then if you don't have an answer, then look for the check mark sign. And then last but not least, then you look for the spotic sign, right? We actually took a lot of this stuff and we put it together in a study of 165 cases of STEMI compared versus 42 cases of pericarditis. And what we found was that all of the things that I've talked about have really, really outstanding odds ratios. ST depression, take a look at that odds ratio of 31. That's an incredible odds ratio. Um, you know, people make a big fuss when the odds ratio is three or four, 
We're talking 31. So the steps that you go through that we've talked about are enormously accurate at predicting STEMI versus pericarditis. Nothing in medicine is 100%, but these are really, really good. So if you go through your stepwise approach, you're going to, in the vast majority of cases, you're going to nail your diagnosis. And again, PR depression is not reliable for pericarditis. So go through your other steps first. 12% of STEMIs in our study had PR depression. 5% of STEMIs in our study had spotic sign. And that's why I say, look for all the things that rule in STEMI first. And if you don't find rule in STEMI uh, criteria, then look for the PR segment depression. Then look for the spotic sign. All right. Okay. Well, this is a, a, a case that got me full. This is a 45 or so year old woman that came into the emergency department, history of hypertension, but she doesn't take her medicines. She uses cocaine every now and then. Not a real healthy person. She comes in complaining of this sharp chest pain and she just wants something to help ease the pain. So I go into the room and I'm, I'm a big believer in doing good history and physical. I think with a good history, you can often come up with the proper diagnosis. So I go in the room trying to do a history and she's yelling at me, stop asking all these questions. I just want my Dilaudid, right? You've, you've been there before. She wants the D drug, the Dilaudid. Um, she's probably allergic to nitroglycerin and more Motrin and Tylenol and everything else. She just wants dilaudid. She's angry at me for asking these questions. I said, ma'am, I've got to ask these questions. It's so important for me to try to figure out if this is your heart or if it's something else. She's not having any of it. So I finally give up. I leave. But at the very least, we're going to get an EKG. And this was the EKG that we got. Now, looking at this EKG, I think this is a fantastic example of acute pericarditis. And I'm, I'm describing all these things to the resident I'm working with. You know, the red arrows are pointing at this beautiful PR segment depression. I could not draw better PR segment depression. And we've also got ST elevation in multiple leads, limb leads, and precordialis. So this is classic acute pericarditis. Well, it's early afternoon. We call cardiology to come on down and see if they want to admit the patient. Cardiology comes down. They go in the room and they try to do a history. They can't get a history. She just wants dilated. They come out of the room and they say, well, you know, the EKG at least looks like pericarditis. Tell you what, let's get, it's, it's uh, banker hours. So we might be able to get a quick bedside ultrasound, a formal ultrasound. We'll find out how big, if she's got an infusion, how big it is. So he calls the Echotech. The Echotech comes down. The Echotech goes into the room. They're scanning. They're looking to see how big the effusion is. And the Echotech comes out of the room. And cardiology fellow and I and the resident all look at her and say, so how big was the effusion? And the Echotech says, there's no effusion. Instead, there's wall motion abnormality everywhere. So we're scratching our head. Right about then, the lab calls with a panic troponin level that's off the chart. And so the cardiology fellow says, oh my gosh, we, we got to get her to the cath lab. They rush her up to the cath lab. And in the cath lab, it turns out that she's got multiple, she's got diffuse coronary disease and she's got a left circumflex acute coronary occlusion, which they end up putting a stent in. So in the meantime, I'm looking at this case and I'm trying to figure out what did I do wrong? You know, I'm convinced that this is pericarditis. And then I realize that I made the same, the very same mistake that I tell people never to make. And that was the first thing my eyes were drawn to was the PR segment depression. On the contrary, if we take a closer look at some of these leads, in fact, let's, let's just take a couple of leads and let's blow them up and take a really good look at it. You know, 
what exactly is the isoelectric segment of the EKG? Well, if the isoelectric set, if you call the end of the PR segment, the isoelectric segment or your baseline, then yeah, it's going to look like there's ST segment elevation. But if you remember that it's actually the TP segment, which is where the red arrows are now, if you remember that it's the TP segment, which is the true isoelectric uh, portion of the EKG, you actually realize that there is no ST elevation. There's actually a little bit of ST depression. So when the PR is going down, it makes it look like the J point's elevated. But the PR is not what you should be using for your isoelectric area because with PR depression, it's going to look like the J point's elevated and it's going to make you think that there's ST elevation. Instead, if you use the TP segment, you realize that the J point's actually depressed below the isoelectric segment. And if there's ST depression, it can't be pericarditis. This patient actually has diffuse ST segment depression. So this patient actually had diffuse ischemia from the start. And I made the same mistake that I teach you all to not make. The first thing I looked at was the PR segments, and that's wrong. This is a very nice example of how diffuse cardiac ischemia can also be associated with PR segment depression. So key points as we wrap up the pericarditis versus STEMI section, again, the first thing you want to do is look for factors that rule in STEMI before you look at the PR segments. Look for ST depression, look at the ST elevation in three greater than in two, and look for horizontal or convex upwards ST segment elevation. And if you see any of those, you're done. Just call it a STEMI and be done with that, all right? Um, also, you can look for that checkmark sign. Also, you can look for the spotic sign, but you should be looking at those things after you've gone through all your other steps first. And again, remember, you can see PR depression and PR elevation in AVR in the setting of a STEMI or ischemia, and you can see spotic sign in the presence of a STEMI also. So that's why I say spotic should be the last thing that you look for. All right, take a deep breath in, mental break here. We've talked a lot about pericarditis for the past 40 minutes. Uh, let's talk about a couple more things. These are quick hitters. Here's an 80-year-old brought in by ambulance. That's what BIVA stands for. Chest pain, shortness of breath. He looks kind of sick. He's a bit tachycardic, tachypnic. Here's the EKG. And this, for all the world, looks like a STEMI, right? ST elevation. V1, V2, AVR, which we've talked about, and in lead three, there's something a bit unusual about this, though. You'll notice that there's a giant S-wave in lead one. There's kind of a rightwardish axis. What are the things that produce a rightward axis or a rightward-ish axis? What are the things that produce a big S-wave in lead one? Well, STEMI is not one of them, and that's a really important pearl to keep in mind. STEMIs do not usually produce a rightward axis. Instead, there's a whole bunch of things that produce a rightward axis, but only a few of these are worth remembering for emergency medicine. And if you were to, if I were to ask you, what are the things that produce a right axis plus ST elevation? There's probably only two things to keep in mind. If you see a rightwardish axis, in other words, a big S wave in lead one with ST elevation in a few leads, the two things you've got to think about are acute PE and hyperkalemia. And how do you tell the difference between these two things? Do a good history. And with hyper-K, you're probably going to find some peaking of the T waves. So 
In retrospect, what we do, we do a quick ultrasound. You see right ventricular distension. This patient has right heart strain. This was actually a massive PE. And your tip off here is that even though this looks like a STEMI, STEMIs don't tend to produce rightward axis. So when you see that big S wave in lead one, take a step away from STEMI and think about PE and hyperkalemia. The other thing that you'll notice here is that the ST elevation is primarily in the rightward-ish leads. V1 and AVR both look at the right side of the heart. V2 and lead three also to some extent. So if you're trying to figure out which is the coronary artery that produces ST elevation in the rightward-ish leads, there really isn't one. There's the pulmonary artery, right? If you block off the pulmonary artery, that tends to produce a rightward strain and that gives you ST elevation in V1 and AVR, sometimes in V2, sometimes in lead three also. There's actually quite a bit of literature that's talked about the EKG abnormalities associated with large PEs. I'm not going to go through these articles in any detail, but I want to show you a lot of cases. And when you have any of these abnormalities we're about to talk about, the studies indicate that these patients are at higher risk for morbidity and mortality and hemodynamic instability. So you got to stay on top of these patients. So it's important to know the findings that are associated with right heart strain. T-wave inversions in V1, V2, V3. Um, ST elevation in the rightwardish leads. I'll say it again. What are the rightwardish leads? V1, V2, AVR, and lead three. Tachycardia can be present with right heart strain. And also rightward axis is very typical as well. I've highlighted the things for this lecture that I want you to know. When you see ST elevation that's primarily in the rightwardish leads, V1, AVR, maybe V2 and lead three also, and a right axis, think about big PE. And that's exactly what this, this is. Here's another nice example. Take a look. ST elevation, V1, V2, and AVR with a big S wave in lead one. This was a massive PE. Here's another one. ST elevation, V1 and AVR with a rightward axis. Uh, this was also a massive PE. Here's another one. This is a patient that just got off a flight um, in Chicago's O'Hare Airport, and he got taken to a local emergency department. He had ST elevation, V1, V2, and AVR with a big rightward axis. They were thinking STEMI. They took him to the cath lab. His cath was clean. Then they realized it was a saddle PE and diagnosed that on, uh, on coronary CTA. Here's another one. Look, the computer doesn't know any of this stuff. The computer's going to call it a STEMI. But there's ST elevation V1, V2, and AVR with the rightward axis. Think PE. STEMIs don't tend to produce a big rightward axis like this. Here's another one. ST elevation V1. V1 up there and also in AVR with a big S wave in lead one. That's a massive PE. Here's another one. ST elevation in V1 and in AVR with a big S wave, a rightward axis. That's a big PE. So again, very important key points, right? There's a handful of things that are associated with PEs on the EKG. There's sinus tact, there's arrhythmias, signs of right heart strain uh, that you see listed up there. But when you see ST elevation in V1 and AVR, maybe also V2, maybe also lead three, and especially with the rightward axis, take a step away from calling it a STEMI and think about a massive PE, all right? So ST elevation in the right side leads with rightward axis, you're probably looking at a PE, simple enough. All right.
So let that kind of sink in a little bit. Another little mental break, and we'll finish up with one more case. This is a case that was sent to me by a physician in San Francisco. He had a patient who was uh, 45, 46 or so, coming in with nausea, vomiting for 12 hours. He's got some burning epigastric pain, history of diabetes, so he's at risk for atypical ACS presentations. Here's the EKG. He's got, what did we just talk about? ST elevation V1, V2, and AVR with rightward axis. So remember the two things that can produce ST elevation with the rightward axis. What were they? PE. We've already talked about that. What was the other one? Hyperkalemia. So ST elevation, hyperkalemia um, causes a rightward shift of the axis in many patients. It's a sodium channel poison, um, essentially. And so it can give you a rightward axis. And typically, when you get ST elevation in hyperkalemia, it usually is going to be V1, V2, and AVR. And how do you know this isn't a PE? Well, it could be, except for the fact that you do a history and there's nothing suggesting PE and you actually see some nice peak T waves. And that pulls you away from PE and it means this is hyperkalemia. So everybody around John was saying, you've got to activate the cath lab. The computer's calling it a STEMI. Everyone else thinks it's a STEMI. He says, well, wait a second. Let's just try some calcium and sodium bicarb. And he tries some calcium sodium bicarb and take a look what happens. The patient goes right into this. And later on, so the ST elevation resolves, the rightward axis has also resolved, and later on they discover the patient's potassium was 7.3. All right? So again, ST elevation that can mimic STEMI from PE and hyperkalemia. Usually with these two conditions, you get ST elevation in association with a rightward axis. And with both of these conditions, you usually get ST elevation in V1, V2, AVR, and often you'll get a rightward axis as well. All right. So how do you tell the difference between these two? Look at the history and look for peak T waves. Let's look at some more examples here. All right. This is this is pretty severe hyperkalemia. You're approaching a sine wave. Notice the computer doesn't know this. The computer oftentimes will call this an acute STEMI. But one of your tip-offs here, take a look at that axis out there in lead one. It's a, a majorly right axis. STEMIs don't tend to produce right axis deviation. All right? Here's another one. Take a look. ST elevation V1, V2, and AVR with a big S wave in lead one. This was hyperkalemia. Here's another one. ST elevation, V1, V2, AVR with a right, take a look at that huge right axis. This is not going to be a STEMI. Here's another one. The computer actually called this a septal STEMI, but yeah, it could be, but there's a rightward axis. ST elevation, V1, V2, AVR, and a big time rightward axis. That's not a STEMI. That is hyperkalemia. All right. Here's another one. Computer called this is STEMI also. ST elevation in V1, V2, AVR, and a rightward axis. That's hyperkalemia as well. And yet another one. This patient actually was misdiagnosed as a STEMI because the computer called it a STEMI. The physician at this community hospital said it must be a STEMI and transferred the patient all the way to university to the cath lab. Patient shows up at the cath lab and the cardiologists take a look at this EKG and say, no, this is hyperkalemia. And so they didn't do the cath. They just gave the patient some calcium and insulin and problem solved, right? STEMI went away. Here's another one. Take a look at this. ST elevation V1, V2, AVR with a big time rightward axis. 
All right. And also you see very nice peak T waves. That's just hyperkalemia. Here's another one. The computer's calling this a STEMI. Dr. Sward here knew better. There's elevation V1, V2, AVR with the big rightward axis and peak T waves. Now, this one's just a little bit tougher because in this case, for whatever reason, there's no rightward axis. There's elevation V1, V2, and AVR, but there's no rightward axis. The computer's calling this a STEMI, but again, you've got ST elevation in the rightwardish leads. So take a good look and see. And, and you notice that there's peak T waves. This is just hyperkalemia. And the ST elevation resolved with treatment of the hyperkalemia. Here's another one. This is a little tougher also because there's no rightward axis. For whatever reason, hyper K doesn't always produce a rightward axis. But again, you've got ST elevation in the rightwardish leads. V1, V2, AVR with peaking of the T waves. It's just hyperkalemia. And one more example, ST elevation, V1, V2, AVR. No rightward axis here, but there's nice peak T waves in a handful of those leads, that's your tip-off. This is just hyperkalemia, all right? And yet another example, ST elevation, V1, V2, AVR, and nice peak T waves. And um, this patient, same story again. So hyperkalemia can be a little bit tougher because you don't always get the rightward axis, but you will typically get the peak T waves, and so that's going to be your tip-off. Your computer always calls these STEMIs because your computer's going to try to fool you. It doesn't know any better. But when you see that the ST elevation is primarily in the rightwardish leads, V1, V2, AVR, think about hyper-K, think about PE, look for the peak T waves. PE almost always gives you a right axis. Hyper-K usually does, but not always. But with hyper-K, what makes hyper-K easier is you typically will see the peak T waves. All right? And here's what you get after an hour of treatment. ST segment elevation goes away, right? All right, so key points. Beware hyperkalemia again. We've talked about hyperkalemia in other lectures. Hyperkalemia can do a lot of things to the EKG, but one of the things that is not often taught is that hyper-K can produce ST segment elevation. But the good thing here is that when hyper-K does produce ST elevation, almost always it's in the rightwardish leads, V1, V2, AVR, and you'll often get a rightward axis as well. So keep that in mind. All right. Uh, so finally, key points here. Large PEs and hyper-K can both mimic STEMI with ST elevation very commonly with rightward axis. And remember that STEMIs don't typically tend to produce a rightward axis. So when you see what you think is a STEMI, but there's a rightward axis, there's a big S wave in lead one, take a step away from STEMI and think about the possibility that maybe you're looking at one of these mimics, hyper-K or, or PE. And with that, I will conclude. Again, if you have any questions at all, please don't hesitate to send me an email at amulmatu at comcast.net. Thanks, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. To learn more about our educational products, please go to ccme.org. Bye for now.